Okay, with that, let's get into our passage. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 through 16. Lord, we, we come before you, Lord, just asking um, that you would focus our minds. Lord, it's, uh, it's Time Change Sunday where we're all sort of off kilter with losing an hour of sleep, and, and we have many strains and concerns on each of our lives that uh, distract us from your word and, and hearing from you. So, Father, I pray that for the few minutes that we have to study your word, um, that by your spirit we would uh, be able to uh, focus intellectually on the things that are being said from your word. We ask by your spirit that you would soften our hearts um, to understand uh, the implications of what's being said. And, Lord, I pray that um, you would help us as a, as a congregation to see how this passage uh, fits and applies to us collectively as a church. Uh, we ask, Lord, that as we go through this, that uh, in the, the couple places where it applies individually, Lord, that you would um, move in our hearts, um, move in our, our will, um, that we would desire um, to, to honor you, to live for you, um, to, to live lives that are worthy of the calling that you have called us to. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you. We ask that you would use it, uh, Lord, use it in our lives. Lord, help us to grow in our understanding of you. Help us to understand um, just congregational life and, and our relationship with you. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would help and guide us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Um, th- this, this passage this week has been e- exceptionally uh, practical and meaningful and convicting to me this week as I've studied it as an elder of the church. Um, I, I recognize that I've, as I've been studying this, it's like, oh, this is a section that is like really like aimed at a pastor. Um, as I've been thinking about it, what's always on my mind is the question, so what? Um, like, so what does it mean t- to us as a church? Um, and, I, and I do think that while this passage has is, is really been extremely meaningful to me, I do think it's important for us as a congregation um, to, to understand the things that are being said here. I, I think it... Uh, helps us to understand roles of, of, of a local church and expectations of an elder or pastor, whatever term you prefer to use. Um, I think that within this section, while he's addressing young Timothy, I, I think that there are some points that are worthwhile for all followers of Christ that we should pay attention to. And so uh, my prayer is that we as a church would understand um, sort of how we function, you know, over the, you know, who knows, over the last few centuries, I guess, uh, there was a, a, a sort of a, a line of distinction between laity and clergy, sort of that kind of came with the culture of 
that the pastor is supposed to do the ministry and the people are supposed to just kind of come and do their hour on Sunday. But, but that's not to be found in, this, in the Bible anywhere. Um, that we all are a congregation, that we have different gifts. Um, some of the gifts are being a pastor, elder, and leading the congregation. But really the role of the pastor, elder, is uh, to... to, to Texas got some grammar right, which most of the world, what most of other English, I'm, having, I'm struggling with my English right now, that the English language didn't caption, and the word is y'all. So that second person plural, which is in the Greek, that the, the, the work of the pastor is to equip y'all for the work of the ministry. And so um, this passage is, is really critical uh, for our understanding. And so let's dive in here. It's, uh, verse 12 says, let no one look down on your youthfulness. Uh, in verse 11, Paul had just uh, gone through a, a sort of a, a list of things for young Timothy to do. And he says in verse 11, prescribe and teach these things. He'd given him his marching orders to, to, to go to the congregation that we know that there's problems. And he's supposed to uh, explain to them the purpose of the church, how they function, how they ought to behave within the body of Christ. And he's supposed to go. And as he gives him these orders that it's, uh, he's to prescribe and to teach these things, he recognizes that Timothy is going to have an issue. He's going to be hindered by his age. He not only was young uh, for his role, but we know through the context of studying about the life of Timothy, we know that his disposition was that he was a, a, a mild-mannered, meek, gentle, sort of spirited individual. And so his confidence was probably lacking. Uh, any individual that had to follow in the shoes of the Apostle Paul would be in trouble. Um, you hear about churches all the time who, who um, they have a pastor that's there for 50 years, and then the pastor retires, dies, or something, and then young whippersnapper comes in on his heels and it's like, no matter what the young guy can do, he can't do anything. He's like, well, Pastor Joe always did it this way. Well, I'm not Pastor Joe, and I've, I, I'm brand new. And, and for Timothy to follow in the authority of the Apostle Paul, who wrote you know, three-quarters of the New Testament, to, to follow in his wake would be intimidating. And so Tim, Paul tells Timothy right away, hey, let no one look down on you for your youthfulness. Um, this word youthfulness is, is a word that describes somebody um, at 40 years of age or younger. This Wednesday, we've had the, prayer, the men's prayer meeting that's been going really well. Like I, you know, if you can get more than two, one person at a men's prayer meeting, in any time of the day, that's a great thing. And if you can get more than that at 6 in the morning, that's even better. And we've had like five or six guys there on Wednesday mornings. It's been, a, it's been really a neat, meaningful time. Well, this Wednesday, you know, we've had a lot of birthdays this week. And so, so Dave Langat over here, he, he's going there and he's kind of expressing that he's, he's, he's uh, struggling. He's having sort of a line in the sand that he's turning 40 on Friday. And like he turned 40 on Friday and he's like, it's just a tough one. And so he's really trying to be serious. About, I mean, because like I remember I turned 40 a couple years ago and I was like, ah, oh, yeah, that's like, there's no like your youth, it's not there. And so he's kind of pouring himself out, and all the other guys in the room who are a little bit older, <laughs> they had no mercy on him. <laughs> Zero mercy on him. They're like, ah, oh, the V40 again. You're a baby. And he's like, guys, like, I'm like, like, go easy. I'm like, I'm like, Dave, 40 is a hard one. That's like, that's clearly middle-aged. Like, there's no... <laughs> Leave it to Larry to like tack on the, you know. And I think that this is exactly what Timothy was going through. We, we know that Timothy was likely in his mid-30s. He was under 40 for sure. There, there's a church with a lot of issues. Paul left him there. And Paul recognized that the task that he gave him was going to be substantial. And he says, They're gonna, you not only have a substantial task, but your age is, gonna, is, is going to, to it, it could be a wrench in your system or a, a a point of resistance. I, um, I definitely relate to, to young Timothy. I, I, it's, um, when I came to this church, this May will be is my 11th year anniversary here for our family. And um, 
when I came, I, the math is hard to do, but there were about 10 people, and they were all in their well into their 80s. And so I think when I came at 32, I think myself and my family, we lowered the average age to about 75. <laughs> but I haven't really done the math. But it's, so I identify with this young Timothy going into a situation where you recognize that you lack the, lack the life experience of the people that you're called to, to, to minister to. Um, I, had never, I had never pastored a church. Um, I, I took the very common pastoral route of going from Navy SEAL to pastor. Like that was just like, so, so the, 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 the military experience was very helpful in becoming a pastor. Um, I'd never even gone to a church where there was a building. I'd been in sort of church plants where we, where we rented build buildings and stuff. And so I, I, I really lacked a lot of the experience. And so when Paul tells young Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness, that's a tough one because you can't really control how people think about you. And so I think that Paul is acknowledging that, hey, your youthfulness this is gonna, this this has a potential to be a hindrance. And he said, "You can't control that, but you can control giving them ammunition." And so he says, "While you're young, grow in your maturity, grow in your character, uh, lead from these certain qualities." And he continues, "But rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity." He said, well, you can't control your age. You can control the ammunition that you give them. And so demonstrate from your character that you have maturity. Um, I think this is a good lesson for all of us. Uh, gray hairs on your head don't make you mature. I know plenty of elderly people, just in my family, who are totally immature, uh, that have gray hairs on their head. I've met exceptionally young people who are very mature. And so age doesn't necessarily define maturity, although the Bible says that gray hairs, it, 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 there, there is something about that, if you, but it's not an automatic. I kind of, when I look at this, but rather in speech, conduct, faith, and purity, I, I think of my military time, there were basically two types of guys. There were leaders, and there were guys that weren't leaders. Um, and it had nothing to do with the rank that was, I don't even, my collar's here somewhere. The rank on their collar they weren't related at all. I knew guys that were at the very, very bottom of the military that were exceptional leaders, that they, they could um, t- to lead men in exceptionally stressful situations. They could rally the troops to do certain things. And, and there was something about their leadership that, that was amazing to, to be a part of. There were other guys that actually on their collar had the highest rank, and they were worthless leaders. And they would sort of lead from like, hey, I get paid this much, you have to do what I say. And they, they didn't garner the respect or um, the following that a person of their position should have garnished. And so it taught me that, uh, that leadership is more about having character and about um, how you go about leading, whatever it is that you're leading. And I think that this is what, Paul is telling Timothy, he said, don't worry about your age. You'll be able to lead the congregation as if, if your life is in order, if your integrity is up to par, if y- your character is there. And so he focuses on uh, five things here. There's two that are external. The first is speech. And, and there's no way for me to list everything that the Bible says about speech, or I could, but we'd have like three or four slides behind you, and it would be overwhelming. But essentially from beginning to end of the Bible, the Bible makes it clear that the things that come out of your mouth matter, that words can either be used for good or for bad, and the bad, they can be very, very, very hurtful. Um, Jesus tells us that it's it's not like what comes out out of your mouth reflects what's in the heart. He, He also tells us, that at the end of your life, you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account for every single word that came out of your mouth, which to me is a horrifying thought. 
I mean, seriously, that Jesus says that you will give an account for every word that comes out of your mouth. And I'm a guy who speaks every Sunday, and my words are recorded. And it's, it's terrifying. So he says, Timothy, focus on your speech. Think about the things you say. He says, your, your conduct, how you live your life matters. I was raised under the, the phrase, do what I say, not what I do. How well does that work? <laughs> not at all. Because you mimic what you see, not what you're told. So Paul tells Timothy, let your, let your, let your conduct display the gospel. Let your life display the Christian life. He, um, he turns inward and he says, love um, this manifests itself towards God, towards others. This, this is an, the, an inward attribute that, that we as followers of Christ are to have. The Bible makes it clear that um, we've received loved, f- love from God, and so the idea is that we, our tank is so overfilled with God's love that it begins to spill out in how we view others. Um, the Apostle John, who during the Gospels, he was the baby of all of the Apostles, but he lived the longest. Uh, by the end of his life, he was known as the apostle of love. Tradition tells us that near the end of his life, he was so uh, mutilated from uh, the torture that he underwent and things that he was super, super frail, um, e- even just in his elder, el- old age, that the tradition holds that they would take the apostle John, they would carry him in in a stretcher, they would set him before the, the congregation and in a very low voice, he would repeat over and over and over again, children, love one another. Children, love one another. And so this guy who started his life as the son of thunder with the great, he ended his life being known as the apostle of love. And so Paul tells young Timothy, let your life be marked with love, love for God, love for the church, love for others. He says faith, and, and this word faith isn't, isn't so much the idea of um, like have faith in God. Like uh, it's, it's more where it, it transitions to a verb. Um, probably better translated or better understood as the idea of faithfulness or trustworthiness. And so he says, but rather in your speech, conduct, love, in your faithfulness, your steadiness, of walking with God and leading. Um, let that be the example. I, I, I see Paul's words to him in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Uh, really, Paul's, uh, uh, 2 Timothy's re- really Paul's uh, last will and testament. It's, it's, he's dying, he's, or he's going to be executed, more correctly said. <clears throat> and he writes to young Timothy, and he says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... And trust these, the faithful, there's the word, faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so while we have in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, 1 through 7, the, the, the qualities of an elder or pastor, um, later he also, with those, sort of the idea of faithfulness. 2 Timothy 2.2 was a, a, a very um, convicting verse to me when I first got here. When I first came, uh, Alberta was doing the Spanish ministry, and, and there was a lot of, like, what's the relationship between the Spanish side of the church and the English side? Are you guys your own thing? Are you a part of the congregation? And, and we sort of went back and forth trying to identify um, <clears throat> It was probably more me putting the screws on him, trying to like figure out like what's the relationship here, if your own church and I can just kind of like back away and not, you know, I'll leave you alone. But if you're a part of the church and you're just the 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 portion of the church that speaks Spanish, um, we can work with that too. And and so like there was a lot of budding heads, and I think it was more cultural, more language. Um, but one day. I was in the word, and this verse jumped out at me. And it said, trust faithful men. And at that moment, it's like God just cut me the quick. And it's like, Alberta is like super faithful. 
And so I came alongside of him, and I said, Alberto, like, you're faithful, and I'm going to support. And, and we, we kind of came under the understanding that the Spanish church is a part of us. They speak Spanish. They don't speak, a lot of them don't even speak any English, but they're just as much a part of this body uh, as, as any one of us are. Um, I, I think of Joel stepping up over the last two or three years, however long Ben's been gone. Like, um, like I've been super grateful for Joel um, and, and, and recognizing the burden of Ben's leaving that, that he really um, wanted to come alongside and help me with like visitation and, and ministering and caring for the seniors. <clears throat> During the first service, he was sitting there and I looked and I said, well, you can say whatever you want to say about Joel. But he's just a picture of faithfulness. Like he really is super faithful. Um, but so Paul tells Timothy, be faithful. Love, faith, purity. We don't need a lot of explanation on purity. Purity is, is sexual purity. It's also integrity of the heart. It's, it's, it's the full composite of the individual that it, as Timothy leads, he needs to stay pure in his, uh, his relationships uh, or relationship if he has a wife. I don't know if Timothy had a wife, but to assume Timothy had a wife in his integrity of thought and heart and how he handled things of the church. Um, there's a lot of temptations, and he says, Paul, Paul tells Timothy, you remain pure. Check the integrity of your heart. Maintain the integrity of your heart. It's critical. You're to show yourself an example of those who believe. The Puritans said that example is the most powerful rhetoric that there is, that our lives display the truth more powerful than our intellectual arguments, more than I- I- anything. And so Paul says, be an example. Live your life as a way so that you demonstrate what Christ's likeness is to those who are following you. And if you do this, your age won't matter. They'll respect you for your character. They'll respect you for your integrity of heart and how you model what it means to be a follower of Christ. I think this is good for all of us. As you demonstrate things, um, you know, that saying that some things are caught, not taught. Um, you can preach with your words, you can teach from the word of God, but if your life isn't in line with your teaching, you're going to do more good, or more harm than good. And so we've already said it, that maturity is not necessarily linked to age. And so I think for all of us, we should be pursuing maturity, whether you're 90 years old or you're 10 years old, we should be looking to grow in our maturity of Christ. And we'll see that it's not dealing with perfection, it's dealing with progression. So Paul says, until I come. We know that Paul and Timothy had been separated. Paul was in Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. Timothy was in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. We know that Paul desired to get back to Timothy to encourage him, to help him along the way. But he says, until I get back, continue to do these three things. He says, give attention to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. The focus is on the Word of God. And concerning public reading of Scripture, there's there's two things that I want to point out from, or, or to observe from this passage. First, during this era, reading illiteracy was... It, it, it was super common. No, nobody knew how, very, virtually nobody knew how to read. And so to, to be able to read the scriptures to the people who were there was huge because they couldn't do it for themselves. As a sidebar, I don't think there's been any organization greater than Christianity to promote literacy in the history of the world because followers of Christ believe deeply that the, that the follower of Christ needs to know how to read for one purpose, and that's to understand and to read what God has said and, and revealed to us through the Word of God. Not, not to have somebody just teach it to you, but that you would be in it and that you would be growing. And in order to do that, you need to read. And when you look at the history of schools and their founding, most schools were, uh, like old schools, were founded as Christian institutions to teach people how to read because they wanted the mind to understand what God said firsthand. The second issue was uh, the availability of the scriptures was unheard of. Like, 
like having a copy of any portion of the scriptures during Timothy's reading, that, that would be the equivalent of like owning a Ferrari. Sure, some people can do it, but most people, it was out of their reach. Um, the, the printing press wasn't as invented in, until the 1500s, I think mid-1500s. And at, at that point, the word of God could be copied over and over and over again and, and distributed in a mass way. But up until that point, there were very limited um, even portions of the scripture, let alone the whole, uh, the whole canon of scripture. And so Paul says you need, to, you need to read the scripture so that people would come to know it, that when you gathered, you read the scripture. I think uh, some lessons, it's a safeguard for false teaching. If you ever have the, uh, uh, the pleasure, and I, and I say that truth, like where you can engage somebody that's like involved in a cult, um, that they might have their source of the scriptures, if you can have a meaningful conversation with them, and as they quote various scriptures, <clears throat> don't allow them just to quote it. Ask them to open their Bible and to read. Like, say, Well, don't just read the one verse. Can you read like the page for me? And allow them to read the scripture. I've heard of more individuals that have been in cults that the word of God is the thing that led them out because... They've been told things. They've been given one verse, and they say, this is what it means. But if you'd only read a paragraph, you would see that that's not what it says. Um, it's not a coincidence that every Sunday that we start by reading the section that's going to be taught. I don't just do it because it feels good to me. Um, every Sunday, I pray, I read the scripture, I pray again, and then we begin the teaching. And the reason for that is because the word of God is front and center. It's not about what I feel like today. It's not what, you know, great inspiration I had this week. We go through a book of the Bible. The Bible is front and center. The Bible is what God has given us, and the Bible is what we all, including myself, submit ourselves to, to be led and to grow. The other thing that is I've, in this section, is it's terribly convicting. I mean, think about it. I, I'm pretty sure that we each have a hard copy of the Bible in our hands today. And if you don't, there's one under your seat, and you could take that. I mean, there's 100 Bibles under our seats. If you have your phone, you probably have a Bible app that has hundreds of translations. You have an app that will even read you the Bible. Throughout history, there's been many that have been burned at the stake, nailed to crosses, to make this possible for us. And yet for most of us, the scriptures become something that's kind of like collecting dust on the bookshelf. Something that we have so much freedom and access to, and yet we don't. And so when Paul urges Timothy to give attention to public reading of scripture, I would encourage us to continue public reading of scripture, that the scripture is going to be the, as long as I'm the pastor here, it will, it will be the center of what we do here. Um, I would encourage you in your private lives to start opening the Bible. You don't have to conquer the whole Bible. Start somewhere like John. Or some, you know, just take a book in the New Testament. Just, just read a little bit of every day. He says to exhortation. So until I come, give attention to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and then to teaching. So exhortation could be described as preaching. Um, I always miss that spot down there. Um, so exhortation and teaching these are, these are two separate things but they overlap and they're, they're, they're intertwined um, I would describe exhortation as preaching where the aim is to convince to motivate to encourage the individual at the source of their will, at the source of their desire, so that when they hear it, they're confronted with the truth, which I think is a teaching part, but it doesn't just get logged into their mind. It moves to their heart and then ultimately to their feet and their hands, and they think, I'm convinced this is what God wants from me. And so because this is God's truth, I am compelled to live my life in such a way that I'm living it out. This, this would be what James describes in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, where he says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. 
It's one thing to hear, but it's another thing to live it out. And I think that exhortation moves us from the knowledge point to the living it out point, which then teaching, uh, if I was writing the Bible, (laughs) but that was a joke. It's a good thing I'm not writing the Bible. God (laughs) delivered it. My conviction is I'm not convicted to like bend your guys' arms to, to do certain things, um, even if they're biblical. My, my conviction is, is to teach so that you understand the scriptures, that you have an understanding of biblical doctrine and understanding so that God is the one through his spirit who moves in you that leads you to action. Because there are plenty who have the action, who have the works, but they lack the foundational knowledge and they're doing things um, that, that those who know Christ would do the same things. But they're doing the things trying to earn salvation or to earn favor with God. Where if you have the correct teaching, we know as Christians that we're not earning our salvation. You can't earn your salvation. Salvation is a gift. And then when you understand biblical salvation that's through grace and you're transformed by it, you see that you're responding to what God has done, not trying to earn favor with God. It's radically different, but on the surface, it looks the same. And if you argue or discuss with somebody, they think that's just semantics. It's like, no, 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 it's everything in the world. To understand that salvation is by grace, and we experience it through faith, not through works, and, and the works that I do, they... they they grow out of what I've received, not trying to earn something that I long for. And so we, we teach the truth of Christian doctrine. We teach the truth of the scriptures in, in what we would call a, a historical grammatical form that we, we, we recognize that God gave us the scriptures set in history, that he used language that has certain rules and principles. And so we... Uh, Ideally, allow the word of God to speak to us from the context of history, from the context of what the actual language says. We're bound by certain rules. We can't, we, can't, we can't just make it, bend it to what we want it to say. And that from that, we draw our principles of life. And this takes work. And so Paul tells Timothy in verses 14 through 15, don't neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with a laying on of hands by the presbytery, or you could say elders, because that's a much easier word than the word where we, than we, we the, the, the word where we get Presbyterian from. So this is elder. This is a, a pastor. So Paul reflects on the time when Timothy was called as an elder. A group of other elders got around Timothy. They laid hands on him. There was nothing magical in the laying on of hands of young Timothy. It was a group of elders recognizing God's call, his gifting, and his life. They said, Timothy, we believe that you've been called into the pastoral ministry. We're praying over you. We're launching you out. And Paul, as he tells young Timothy, Timothy, don't get discouraged by your age. Don't get discouraged by your, uh, uh, your gentleness. You're not wanting to like, press through some hard issues. He says, stand fast. Remember that you've been given a gift to do this. And so rest in that. Paul tells Timothy not to neglect the spiritual gift. So the first question I ask, do I have a spiritual gift? Do you have a spiritual gift? It's a great question. If you turn with me, I'm glad you asked. If you turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter 4. In 1 Peter chapter 4, we read there, as each one has received a special gift. I can still hear pages turning, which I think is wonderful. So Peter, as he's writing to the church, he says that each one has uh, been given a a special gift. This is a spiritual gift. Um, We can get wrapped around the axle about, uh, do you have more than one gift? Do you have multiple gifts? I I tend not to care about that so much because all that you are, every, every, like the color of your hair, how much hair you have, color of your eyes, things you like, things you don't like, your preferences, your, um, your personality, how you're wired, who gave that all to you? God. Like everything that you are and have is a gift from God. Um, the scripture does speak about that once you become a, a follower of Christ, that through his spirit, he gives at least a gift. Um, 
I, I know for sure. It's always in the singular, so, but if, if it's multiple, I don't really tend to argue about that. So if you're a follower of Christ, I believe that the scripture says that God has given you a supernatural gift for a reason. And Peter says, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so you can go back to Timothy. So I do believe, as Timothy was given a gift, if you're in Christ, I believe that you have a spiritual gift. Then the question is, how do I discover it? And, you know, they have, they have spiritual gift tests, and those are great. I mean, I mean that was like, they're, they're tools that you can use. I, um, I don't put a lot of stock in them. Um, a few years ago when Anna's brother, he, he, he'd graduated law school, he had taken the bar, and he was waiting to hear the results. And so contingent on the results, he knew that he was, he was going to have a position um, with, with the attorney general of the state of California. And, and I, I found myself in a meeting with another attorney, and it was kind of you know, like, hey, how did, you, how did you end up in this segment of law? Uh, lawyers fascinate me. I know, I'm, I, sh- I know they're always targets for jokes, but like, I think the thing that fascinates me about attorneys is it exposes like, the vastness of our legal system, <laughs> is that there's so many... like little widgets of, of law that guys specialize in, women, like guys and gals. And, and so I said, how, how did you end up in this aspect of law? He's like, it just happened to me. I'm like, what do you mean it just happened to you? He's like, well, when I was a young attorney, I was really worried about what field I was, I was going to end up in, like which, which specialty. And an old seasoned attorney came to me, and he sat down, and he, he explained to me, not to me, but to him. Um, he said, you know what? When you, when you pass the bar and you become an attorney, just, just put your, your nose to the grindstone and work and, and take any job you can get and you just start practicing law and you just work like a dog. And in 10 years, look up. And in 10 years, when you look up, you'll realize what specialty you have. And I'm like, that's, that's it's just like the Christian life. You want to know what spiritual gift you have? Just start serving. Just start volunteering. Just start getting involved. When I became a Christian and I had this burning desire within me to, to serve because God put it there because Ephesians 2.10, after it talks about salvation comes <clears throat> uh, by grace alone through faith, it says that you were created for a purpose, like that are, you have a gift to use and so you should be serving. I went to the pastor and I said, hey, I, I really feel committed to serving. He's like, well, that's because you're a Christian and you should be serving. So, He's like, let's work with, like, how, how can we, how can we, what can we do to put you to work? They said, well, I got a problem. I'm going to be gone like 40 Sundays out of the year, and there's only 52 Sundays out of the year. And he said, oh, that kind of throws a wrench in the system. And he's like, well, can you shake people's hands, and can you say hello? And I said, I can do that. And so I started out for those Sundays. I just shook people's hands, and I handed them bulletins. And then God, you know, it seemed like somewhere along the line, I went to children's ministry. That lasted about a week. I was not cut out for children's ministry. <laughs> I've never been invited. I've never been invited to the worship team. A few weeks ago, because the, the, the last song before the sermon gets recorded, and I really just thank God for Melanie not using that against me. And, and a few weeks ago, I, 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 well, Melanie was having a rough time. Hey, I'll do the recording. And I, so I took a snippet, and I, I cut out the piece of Keith Green's song that I was singing, and it was terrible. I can, like, I'm sitting there by myself, just like turning like horrible. And I tell myself, I'm like, oh, it's just the microphone. This is not made for singing. And it's like, I don't sound that bad. So I took a snip of it and I texted to my brother-in-law, who's like professional musician. I said, hey, can you send this to the people of The Voice? I want an audition. And he just is like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And I brought it to the worship team and I played it for them. And, and Daniel was really kind. He said I had good something. I don't remember what it was, but I was lacking a whole lot of other things. So I know that that's not my gift. Um, I do think that if you just start serving, doors are going to close if you're like me. Like the doors never open for worship. And sing, uh, no, worship, they're open. Singing, <laughs> leading people in worship never opened up. Um, my father-in-law always says you can't steer a parked car. And, and so 
if you just say, Lord, here I am, I want to I serve. I believe that the word of God tells me that I'm supposed to be serving. Just throw yourself out there. Start serving and see where it takes you. Paul tells Timothy, we've identified, we believe that you have the gift of being a teacher, this elder, this, this calling that's difficult. So don't neglect it. Verse 15, he says, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Um, he tells Timothy, this is an important task. Being an under-shepherd of Christ for his church is a weighty thing. And so he says, take pains, be absorbed in them. Work hard, discipline yourself. Um, be passionate. Recognize the severity of your calling that teaching the scriptures is weighty. People's souls are on the line. So he says, you should be, don't take it lightly. Do with everything that you have. Throw yourself into it. Take pains. Be absorbed in them. Press on. So that your progress, keyword, not your perfection, because we're not perfect. None of us are. But in the Christian life, we should see progress. We've never been called to perfection. Only Christ has attained perfection because he's God. But all of us have been challenged to, to move forward in the Christian life. You should, over the course of 5, 10, 15, 20 years, see progress. I think it's a lot like the stock market. You'll have ups and downs, but when you look at any 10-year window of the stock market, there's always progress. So progress, not perfection. But then from this passion, from this, hey, when you're leading the congregation with passion and absorbing yourself in this and taking great pains in leading the church, he says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation for both yourself and for those who hear you. I don't think he's talking about salvation, like, like a literal salvation. It's the, it's the pressing on, the going the distance, understanding who God is. But what he says is two points, or three. <clears throat> he says to pay attention to yourself, pay attention to your teaching, and then persevere. Um, the first one I want to talk about is yourself. Um, I know a few weeks ago I kind of made the joke that, um, well, it wasn't a joke. It was, there, there are things I never anticipated about being a pastor that were so, like, weighty on the soul. And, and Anna's always teasing me when she looks at my pictures from 11 years ago. She's like, man, you've aged. And I think, say, thanks, sweetie. <laughs> like, really, being a Navy SEAL was simple. It was easy. It was not complicated. And, and there weren't great burdens placed upon me. Like, I wanted to stay alive. That was true. And, and, but, other, like, it was just easy. Um, the weight of shepherding is, is not easy. There's, there's complexities and burdens. And if you really love the people, I always joke, like, hey, it would be so much easier if I didn't love you guys. But when you genuinely love people, when they go through the downs and the lows, like, it, it weighs on you. It's hard. You can't turn it. Like, if you're being passionate and be, throwing yourself into it and, understanding the weight of it, it, it weighs on you because, because Hebrews tells me that I'm going to give an account for your souls. But then Paul like, suddenly says, pay attention to yourself. And, and I think that this is the idea of um, you know, caring for himself physically, spiritually, and emotionally. There's something called compassion fatigue that's super common amongst clergy. It's super common among, amongst firefighters. It's super common amongst uh, Cops, people that are in the ER, um, and it's known as second, secondary traumatic stress. And, and so it, it, it's very easy to get broken. Um, and, and so Paul tells Timothy, take care of yourself. Like as you're passionate, care for yourself. Care for your well-being. Um, uh, amongst pastors, there's, it's, it's known that like pastor's kids kind of have a reputation um, like as they grow up, it's very easy for them to launch with a negative feeling towards the church. And, and, I, and it happens because pastors, it, it's so easy to get so enthralled shepherding the congregation that they neglect their children and their family. 
So I said that this passage has been like just really convicting the last few months, and so for me, you know, like my cell phone went down, but but a lot of this is is like me trying to make steps um, as I grow as a pastor, as things in the church change, for me to try to like carve out time for my family. Um, Debbie's been great at harassing me this week in a in a Christ-like way, you know, encouraging me to this. But I and I recognize that the problem is not the church; the problem is with me, and and so. He tells Timothy to care for yourself because if you want to go the distance, you've got to shepherd yourself and your family. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, I think it is, uh, talks about that when you're selecting a pastor that he should manage his household well. And so many churches use that in the beginning, but then as they get into the ministry with the congregation, the church is okay with them sort of not being so uh, concerned about their family. And so I'm grateful for this congregation that allows me to be me that allows me to just to be one of you guys. Like, I'm just a Christian that happens to be in this role. My family's not on a pedestal. My kids are not on a pedestal. Like, they're free to just be themselves. And I'm deeply, deeply grateful um, for this church family that I have. Um, Moving on to teaching. I've got to speed along here. He says, pay attention to yourself. He says, pay attention to your teaching. In First Timothy, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter four, verses eleven through thirteen, set in Ephesus where Timothy was, Paul says he gave some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints and the work for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. And so, the the, the point when Paul tells Timothy to pay close attention to yourself, pay close attention to your teaching. Timothy needs to recognize his main role. His purpose in that gift of pastor-teacher is leading and discipling through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Like This isn't something I just come up with. Like When I teach on Sunday, it's not something that, that just happens on my way to church. You know, like There's so funny meeting people like, oh, do you just, how, do you, how do you come up with what you're going to say on Sunday? Do you, like, do you come up with it Sunday morning? Kind of like you're driving to church, huh? <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Well, it would be dangerous. But I recognize from Scripture, like a huge portion of my time needs to be committed to, to studying so that the teaching, because as the Word of God is taught, y'all are equipped. And y'all are called into ministry, that we're in this together. And so I've had to learn to really carve out time so that I'm studying, and life has ebbs and flows, and there's tragedy, and there's crisis, and, you know, but in an ideal week, I've carved out ample time for studying, because I recognize that this time on Sunday, or when teaching is happening of the Word of God, this is where God moves in your hearts, convicts you, raises you up, and sends you out to do the work of the ministry. He says, persevere in these things. serving as a pastor has its ups and downs. Mondays are terrible. I think there's a spiritual warfare element into what happens on Sundays. Most pastors want to quit Sunday afternoons or Mondays. Like, it's it's sad how common, like, pastors literally, I'm not just being funny, like, pastors quit on Mondays, like, all the time. Like, every, like, I don't know how many, I don't know the stats are every Monday, but there are pastors who resign from the ministry on Mondays. And I think Paul's telling Timothy, hey, it's not going to be easy. You're going to have extreme highs with the people. You're going to have extreme lows carrying the burden of the congregation. But you need to persevere. You need to continue to go the distance. Take care of yourself. Take care of your teaching. Trust God to do the work of his church. Trust the system that he's put in place. A few months ago, I met with a man who had failed at a church plant he asked if he could meet with me to talk about the ministry and, and, and to figure out how he could kind of uh, pull himself up by the bootstraps and, and, and re-engage in the ministry in a, in a more successful way. And so we met, we were talking, and, and, and somewhere along the line I, I looked at him and I said, you know, I'm not a big flash-in-the-pan type guy. Like, I, I just really believe in not, the idea of not planning a church but planning, planning your life and putting your hand to the plow and just working and serving and giving of yourself uh, faithfully over long periods of time. And um, he's like, stop, you, like, you got, like, 
he pulled out his little like moleskin notebook. He was a little bit more of a different guy than I was, but he had his little notebook. He's like, yeah, say that again. I'm like, well, what did I just say? He's like, something about a plow. And I'm like, oh, don't give me credit for that. That was Jesus, I think, in Luke 9. He says, he talks about putting your hand to the plow. I don't do any plowing. Like, I've never, like, <laughs> like, but the picture is like, you put your hand to the plow and you, you work. And you just kind of put your head down and you go and you serve and, and you seek him. Like, I can't believe that this May is my 11-year mark here. I have no intention of going anywhere. I serve on the, the cemetery board. I'm hoping they'll give me a plot one day. That doesn't work out. I was in the military, so I get a free plot. But, but it's, about, sir, it's about persevering, going the distance, giving of yourself. So what do we do with this section? I think it's important for us to understand the, the role of the gifts that are a part of a congregation. This is his church, not our church. And that the church is not the building. Um, There's not a huge distinction between clergy and laity. When I look at the New Testament, I see over and all that, that the body of Christ believers have each been given a gift. You each, all of us, have been called into this work. Now, we all have different gifts. We all have different roles. We all have different talents. And the question is, what is your gift and how are you employing it? Because that is, that is critical. We, as a congregation, need you to be using the gift that God has given you. Um, Well, why is that? Well, I don't know, because he said so. Like, he said that you're a vital part of our body, and he's given you a gift that needs to be used. And so my role is to help you discover it and then to use it. With that, let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you. For your grace that abounds, Father, we thank you um, for the work of the Spirit in our lives. Father, we do thank you that salvation is by grace, not by works. And I pray for those, Lord, that are here today that maybe don't know you as Savior or they're not secure in their relationship with you. Father, I I pray that you would help them to understand that, that the work on the cross was sufficient. There's nothing for us to do to add to our salvation. It's simply that it was done for us and we respond to the offer that's been placed before us. And so, Father, for those of us who have responded, we we ask that you would raise up from within our midst, within our body, um, people who seek to identify and to employ their gifts as you have called us to do. Father, we pray that you would keep us on track. Uh, May we as a church keep um, your revelation, the word of God, center. May we be a grace-filled body. Um, May we all seek progress in our lives. We don't do it on our own strength, our own merit. We do it by your spirit and by your pouring out in our lives. And Lord, we thank you for being so good to us, for being so gracious with us. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.